Many thanks to Supergirl, who continues to be a sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Supergirl, that's S-O-U-P-E-R-G-I-R-L, is a nationwide soup delivery service. Most importantly, their soups are delicious. They are a locally owned, women-owned company local to the DC area, but they ship nationwide. And as a sponsor, they have offered us a code, RUN20, for 20% off your total order. I know that Supergirl has always been a go-to source of meals for me and my family. We use them as a compliment to dinner and their heartier soups make a perfect lunch, especially in the fall or winter. They're great fueling for running and their soups taste really amazing. They're vegan, kosher, and organic too. So check out Supergirl at supergirl.com and use the code RUN20. Thanks for Supergirl for sponsoring the podcast. We are very excited to announce our newest sponsor of the podcast, White Paws Run Mitts. You may recall Red Mitts because their founder, Susan Clayton, was a guest on our podcast in 2020. Susan's story is very interesting. She decided to start a small business and she started Red Mitts because as a runner and coach herself, she realized that she couldn't find a glove or mitten that allowed her to take her gloves off and put them back on when her hands got intermittently hot and cold, which happens to so many of us as the temperature changes. So particularly this fall and this winter, I know I will be wearing my run mitts to run every time I head out. They are so convenient and they're also really cool because they have a flap. So when you decide that your mittens are getting your hands too warm, you just simply lift the flap up and push them up your arms and then voila, you don't have to run around holding your gloves or mittens as many of us do when we take them off. They're also great for racing. So check out Run Mitts at runmitts.com and use the code RFF10 to get a 10% discount on your order. That's runmitts.com and use the code RFF10. Thank you so much to Run Mitts for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. We're home from Boston. Yeah, we are. It's sad, but we're done now. We're back on Zoom just because our schedules worked out that way to record today over Zoom. But we got to spend the entire weekend together, which was so much fun. It was so magical. And in large part for me, it was just being able to spend the weekend with you 100%. We ridiculously, because I know when people hear us, they think we're always together. We're really not. I mean, we, we are always you know, transactional, we work together, we have our business together, but we are great friends. And sadly, we just have been so busy as of late and just being able to be together without our kids and just have a fun girls weekend in Boston was so amazing, rejuvenating and something we really needed. So Lisa, I just loved spending time with you this weekend. Me too. And honestly, the best feeling is that we get to go back in six months and not have to, every, every time we've done this before we leave, and I'm like, oh, 364 more days. Like, how am I going to get? It's like, you know, our, I imagine how our kids are with camp when they leave and they're like, oh, I have to get through a whole year before I get to be back here. And now we've got six months. So really exciting. Super exciting. Now, I don't think I really felt that way at like mile 18, 19 that I was like, yay, I get to do this again in six months. But now, 24 hours later, for sure. I've, I've already forgotten about that low feeling, which we'll talk about. Um, and I can't wait to go back. So yes, 100% agree with you, knowing that we are both requalified for 2022. And I think 2023, based I on what so, we've yeah. read. Right. We um, don't know yet, but we think that this year's Boston, this October Boston should hopefully be within the window for qualifying for 2023. That registration will open 
in September of 2022. So my guess would be that they would at least reach back to fall of 2021, which would be now. I feel like we, we do know, I feel like it, I feel like we read it was September, 2021. That was the beginning of the qualifying window for 2023. But we don't know that we don't know the buffer. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we never know that, but I feel like, I feel like we'll be okay. So, um, we can look that up really quickly. Um, so yeah, so here we are and we both flew back from Boston last night. We ran the marathon yesterday. So we're fresh off of Boston. And, and let's last- just, before the record right now, let's just mention now that we have decided that next in April, we are going to stay till Tuesday, right? <laughs> do we agree on that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's put that on the record because I just want to remember so that we're going to do that. We're staying till Tuesday, but we are not doing an early, early flight. That's no, no, no. It's like a Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. okay. Tuesday afternoon. Well, we're going to do the crazy thing and stay one more night because it is ridiculous that after we run a marathon, we get on a plane and fly out. But good news is we had showers this year. Thank you to your law school friend, Dara. Thank you so much, Dara. She uh, graciously allowed us to use her room to shower after the race because we had to check out yesterday morning before we left for the marathon. So uh, you're welcome, Southwest and all the people flying. We were showered um, flying home. And I also wanted to mention, after reading all of the articles this weekend about Southwest, uh, we really hope that everyone listening got to Boston in time. For those who didn't, we are so, so sorry, because it looks like it was just a huge cluster throughout the weekend. And I feel like, and we talked about this the other day on our podcast, I feel like I really dodged a bullet because that easily could have been me. I think we were one of the last flights out of BWI on Southwest on Saturday. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to make it to Boston. So, and that's a good, yeah. brings up a good point in just um, thinking about traveling to the Boston Marathon whenever people are listening to this and planning, whether for April or for a future year. Um, give yourself a buffer of time. Luckily, the race is on Monday. So if you are planning to get there on Saturday and you can't for whatever reason, like one of our runners who had a flight canceled on Saturday and had to rebook for Sunday, but they were in in time on Sunday to get plenty of time to get to the um, you know, uh, vaccine verification and the expo. And I've had to go up on Sunday before for various, you know, commitments here. Um, so there's, we're lucky that it's, it's Monday. Um, but, but plan, you know, have a plan B in the back of your head, know what airports you could fly into and rent a car and have to drive. If you have to drive, um, just have your plan B backups because, um, stuff happens. And this time it really, you know, because of the, um, issues with Southwest, some people actually didn't even make it to Boston and, a lot of scrambling and a lot of stress. So in that sense, I was glad I went up Friday uh, evening this year. It's the first time I've gone up Friday evening. That gave me a little bit of extra time. And it was pretty quiet in Boston when I got up Friday evening. So um, I don't think you have to go up that early, but just always have kind of in the back of your mind, like, okay, if my flight gets canceled, what is going to be my backup? And um, I did look up the window for 2023 and it has not been open yet, but it's anticipated that qualifying window time periods will return to normal. And if that turns out to be true, registration for the April 2023 Boston Marathon will take place in September 2022, and the window will be September 1st, 2021, until the conclusion of the registration period for that year. So like, you know, September of 2022. So um, so that, that would put this marathon, this Boston, into that qualifying window. So ostensibly, Excellent. somebody could have, you know, obviously if you have one, between now and November registration, it would be good for April 2022 and April 2023, which um, for us is the case. Oh, 
Yeah. And that's fair. And also it's just something to think about in terms of planning too, is that 2023 is a while away. So a lot of people will be moving up into new age groups by 2023. So it's calculated by the age that you are on the day you raise. So when looking at a qualifying time for 2023, um, many people, if they age up, will actually have more time than usual because it is in a couple of years. So just some thoughts to consider. So we'll start from the beginning. Last time we left off, we had arrived in Boston and we talked about our fun day on Saturday. And we were super excited for Sunday because Sunday was our meetup. And we are still just smiling ear to ear from this meetup that we had. So first of all, we want to thank everyone for coming. We had a terrific turnout. We surprised everyone with these really cool run farther and faster visors and Boston colors. And we I think we ordered 50 and we had just enough, which is incredible. And uh, we made sure everyone received one and it was wonderful. Not only did we meet many of the runners we coach for the first time in person who we already feel like we know, and they are from all over the United States. It was super exciting. We also met so many podcast listeners that over the past couple of years have reached out or commented and it was just super fun to meet everyone. And we know there were so many folks that weren't able to make it. And we will definitely do another meetup in April. So we hope that we'll get a chance to connect with you all there. Uh, but it was a perfect meeting spot in Boston Common. Uh, we did a really great shakeout run with everyone around the Common. And while we were running, we ran into another large group, the Boston Buddies group, um, of which many run farther and faster runners are a member. So it was super fun to run into them. And we even had podcast guests in attendance. So George Remet, who we interviewed from the president of the RRCA, he was there. Um, Roman, of course, who we interviewed twice, and he talked about his recovery from COVID. He was there and he was taking wonderful pictures. And Rabbi Lori Rice, who's one of our runners and also a podcast guest was there. And it was just really, really fun and exciting to meet everyone and, and be able to hug them and say hello. So you can't tell we are both smiling ear to ear still today from that experience. And it just meant the world to us to be able to connect with everyone. And just knowing that people have been listening and our goal with this podcast has always been to help people improve their training and be able to optimize whatever ability they have to be able to run the marathon successfully. And to know that this podcast has helped people do that just brings us tremendous joy. So, uh, Thanks for sticking with us. And uh, we're so happy that you were able to meet up with us. And again, for those who couldn't, we'll, we'll definitely do it again. So after we had our shakeout run, Lisa and I went and Lisa, you and I went and we did some uh, cryotherapy. And if anyone has listened to us before, we had done some cryotherapy in the past, but then the cryotherapy place near us kind of closed and turned into like this sort of beauty place where they just do it on skin or something, but definitely wasn't an athletic recovery modality anymore. So we Googled cryotherapy and we found a place right near the finish line. And we went and there were all these runners there using like Noratech booths and getting cryotherapy. So it's right on Boylston street. So for anyone listening the next time, if you want to do some recovery or pre-race work, uh, there's a great place right on Boylston street. Uh, it's called cryomed and they provide uh, cryo and all kinds of other recovery modalities. Yeah. And the owner had uh, been inspired to open it because he had experienced cryotherapy. I think he said in Florida, right? In Miami. 
And um, he's also a runner and he was running Boston as well. And he had run, when did he say he ran his first Boston? I think it was, did he say 40 years ago? Many years ago, he'd run his first Boston and he was back this year. So I can't remember how I think I missed. I think I missed oh, that, yeah, conversation. that conversation. Yeah, no, no. He was running this year. He hadn't run. He'd run a total of five times, but spread out over many years. Like, I think maybe it was 20 years ago. Was the first, I forget. But he had run Boston many, many years. So I asked him, I said, are you doing cryotherapy tonight? He said, yes, I am. So that yeah. felt good. That was nice. That it was didn't feel nice. good, but it was good to no, do. It did feel good. I felt like rejuvenated after it. So. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but Yep. Yep. And then we kind of just spent the afternoon. Um, one of the highlights of this year is you know, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier offline, but um, a lot of the changes they made this year, we hope they continue. You know, this is sort of the theme of COVID of like, we've had some really nice um, ways, we figured out ways to do things that we kind of hope stick around. And that is true with the marathon as well. So they had an outdoor fan fest and we spent some time there. Um, we got to see Brooke one of our uh, virtual coaching clients who was delayed in getting into, into, um, into Boston, but made it in time. And we got to see her and her husband and we got to hang around and listen to the bands. And, um, and you really kind of, you know, we, tr we tried to keep it low key. That's one thing we always advise our runners. It's really easy to get carried away Boston weekend with just being on your feet and out and about. And it's like overwhelming. And even just our morning that we had with our run and then cryotherapy and then hanging out the fan fest, we got back to the room and we're like, oh, we're exhausted. <laughs> so it's something you have to keep in mind, you know, trying to um, be smart about budgeting your energy and what you do. Um, but, but there's a lot to take in and Boston's so exciting. And so much of the Boston experience is that, that kind of pre-race excitement. So it's just a matter of figuring out how to do it smart and making sure you spend time back in your room with your feet up and, and fueling and hydrating. Cause you know, we even got to to like, you know, it was afternoon and we're like, oh, we got to get lunch and we got to, you know, go, go get some lunch somewhere. Cause you can sort of forget about that and the excitement of making sure you're hydrating while you're out and about and, and fueling, but lots of really great options in Boston for fueling. We had done, um, sweet green, um, takeout. We did, um, Kava, uh, we did Uber eats for our dinner on Saturday night and our dinner, our traditional dinner of sushi. So that was, uh, that was great. Um, we got to our candy store, our favorite candy store. So we got to fuel up with our favorite candies. Um, so, you know, we tried, but we tried to be smart about, and I know we went back in the afternoon and kind of put our feet up and tried to chill out and decompress a little bit. Yeah, it was, you know, you said that the sushi was our traditional dinner. This was actually my first pre-race dinner doing sushi. Cause I usually- No, in 2019, we went out to sushi together. Do you remember? Oh, that's right. We, we did. did. That's but right. But before that, you're right. But before that, you always yeah. did. Yeah. But yeah, we did. We went out to dinner for sushi. That's right. Um, so I had sushi twice in a row because I went out with my uncle Saturday night for sushi, and then we had it again together in our room. And um, it was it was great. It was it was easy. It was it was filling. And I know a lot of people do pasta, but we just we really like sushi. It works. And um, we also at FanFest, we caught a few more of our runners and uh, one of whom is a runner we coached a few years ago, Devorah Soroka. And Devorah, uh, we helped her qualify for Boston and then she, um, COVID hit and she wasn't able to run Boston in person. She did the virtual and then she got pregnant. And so she just had her ninth child yes listeners and that is not a misstatement or a typo and you do nope. not mishear that nine as an n-i-n-e one last he time. had her ninth baby and Bora uh 
decided to run Boston. She's five months postpartum, decided to run it as an easy run. She was admittedly undertrained, which is appropriate because again, she had a baby five months ago, but felt that she was able to do it. And uh, we ran into her at FanFest. She sent us a message and said, I'm here. And we were done. We didn't know she was coming and we were pleasantly surprised. And she had her adorable baby Kaya with her and we got to hold this sweet baby. I swear we were just loving on this baby so much. It was so much fun. And Deborah ran the race yesterday. Deborah finished in just over three, four hours, which is so impressive. We're so proud of her. And also proud of her because she she made a very last minute decision to do this. She assessed how she was feeling. She ran it as easy as possible. She's already a very uh, naturally talented runner with, with a very big base. So we would not ordinarily recommend this for anyone. We don't, we, we understand though that it's Boston and she qualified and she wanted to run it for the first time and we get it. So uh, her husband watched the baby, the rest of the kids were at home and uh, she ran it and she said it was an incredible experience. And uh, I told her, take her time. It's the only time, like she has no kids with her. She has no, like, <laughs> the longer you're out in the course, the longer you can be by yourself without, you know, without the kids around. And so for sure, her self time. We should have her on the podcast. She's qualified for Boston three times. She's got nine kids. We could have do an episode about time management with her. She also has a business. She's she's a real dynamo. So yeah, we'll get her on the podcast. She's she's from Chicago and we know she knows a lot of the runners we coach. And it was just a pleasure to meet her. So that was super fun. And um, yeah, so we put our feet up, we went back to the room. I swear, speaking of time management, because we didn't have our kids with us and because we weren't busy doing all the things. Didn't you feel like it took us hours to get ready for the race in our hotel room, like laying everything out, figuring out what we were doing? Because I don't well, know. We haven't it's- done it in a while either. We haven't done it. Yeah. It was like, you know, had to remind ourselves what we need to get ready. But, and we had, like you said, we had the time. So it was nice. I remember on Sunday we got back and we felt like it was like four o'clock and it was really like one o'clock in the afternoon. And we're like, oh, we have all afternoon to kind of chill out, relax and, um, uh, you know, plan, plan for the next day. Yeah. So we put on some music and we laid out all our clothes. We figured out what the forecast would be because the thing with Boston is the forecast changes so much the the days before, even the weekend of Boston, even the morning of the morning. So you really got to pack like a lot of variety, a variety of clothes because that forecast can change on a dime. And I'm so glad we both did because I know for me, my outfit changed a little bit. Like I was originally going to wear a tank and then I decided to wear like a really light, light, uh, short sleeve shirt just because at the beginning it was going to be cooler. Uh, but it ended up being, a, and we'll get into this, it ended up being a fairly hot day yesterday. I know the low was 61, the high was 75 and it was 90% humidity. So it definitely wasn't at all a cool day, but there's always a nice wind in Boston. So if you're not running or exerting yourself, you feel like it's pretty cool. So uh, it was kind of yeah, hard we'll, to figure we'll, out what to we'll wear. We'll get to this, but, and Hopkinton's always a little bit cooler than Boston too, when you get out of the buses there. So you have something to keep in mind. Yeah. So how did you sleep? So we went to sleep. How did you sleep um, the night before the race? I slept pretty well, like surprisingly well. Um, so I, I felt pretty good. I think I like woke up once in the middle of the night with like, what time is it? And I'm back to bed and uh, we were up. I was up pretty early. Like I would think I set my alarm for it. So my bus was leaving at six. Um, my friend Dara and I were going to meet in the lobby because we had the same color bibs and we were going to leave for the start at 7.15. And I had to check out, I was going to check out of our rooms. 
So um, I woke, my plan was to wake up at six. So I just like to have that little extra time to like wake up, like, you know, slowly eat food um, and, uh, and, and just kind of take my time. So, um, but I was up, I think like 5.30 or something and I tried to kind of doze off, but I, I was up and ready. So what about you? Uh, I kind of slept like shit, but I was, I was anticipating that. I, I definitely, as I mentioned earlier in the last episode, I definitely, as the race got closer, had Boston specific anxiety, just because my last Boston was 2018 and I didn't have a, a new memory of Boston. So, um, just kind of thinking about that race and, and not wanting to relive it, but also recognizing that I needed to do a lot of visual visualization. I, I definitely struggled with wanting to visualize, but also not wanting to remember <laughs> 2018 that, that much. Uh, I didn't sleep great, but that's okay. I slept pretty well the rest of the week. And as we always talk about on the podcast, it's totally fine to not have a great night's sleep the night before a race, provided that you get consistent sleep the week before the race, which I definitely did. So I wasn't concerned at all. And we both got up together. My bus was leaving uh, about 45 minutes after yours. So it, it was very easy. We got ready together. It made the morning. We put on good music and we definitely were excited. Like I felt like we both got this sense of, okay, um, our weekend of fun is, is done the pre the lead up and now it's time. And I felt like we both kind of, without even talking about it, like got in our heads and we're like, all right, we're ready. And, uh, we got dressed. We took a few pictures before, um, you left with Dara and I was leaving a little bit later. So as much as I wanted to go to the Boston Common with you and hang out, I also knew that wouldn't be very wise. It was better to just hang out in my room and wait until I actually had to get on the bus versus sitting outside and, and waiting there. And I was much more comfortable doing that. So we also checked out. So it was a lot. We, you know, got ready, we checked out and then, and then you left and then I left. And um, how was your bus ride up? And what did that look like for you? Well, I'm going to back up a little bit and just talk about the walk over and the process of getting on the buses because a lot of people, you know, maybe people who weren't there, we don't know what the logistics are going to look like in April, but if they have a similar process where they are, um, you know, they have uh, bib numbers and bib colors and, uh, and, you know, people asked kind of, there was a boarding schedule, like, you know, 715 was red bibs, 745 was white bibs, 815 or, you know, whatever. It's another color bib, 845. And everyone kind of asked, well, but if I get there early, are they going to let me on? And the answer was they would let you into the park, but they would not let you into the bus lines. So they had volunteers who, you know, God bless them because they had a really tough job of saying only red bibs right now. No. And people trying to sneak by with their white bibs and get on the early buses. And, you know, most people were very, um, very courteous and, listen, you know, listen to the rules and um, we're good. But, you know, we had a, a large group of white bib people waiting to get on until they gave us the all clear once the red buses had been loaded. So they were actually um, pretty strict about that, which understandable. They were trying to control the crowds, which they did a great job of doing. So, you know, when we got the all clear to enter the bus lines, we literally went into a line. We were the first in line for a bus. Our bus had however many people on it. It was loaded and the buses were out within five minutes, maybe or so. So it was a super super efficient um, process. And um, with respect to the weather, what was interesting is, you know, we looked at the weather in the morning, it said, like, literally on our TV or in our, in our apps, and it said, you know, there weren't going to be, there wasn't going to be any rain. Um, it was kind of scattered showers throughout the, the area, but didn't look like anything right near us. And um, luckily, I had packed in my bag, you get a clear plastic bag that you can bring on the bus. So that's really kind of for your nutrition and your drinks or anything you might want to bring 
just uh, to the start, um, hand sanitizer. They're actually giving out hand sanitizer at the bus entrance, which I thought was a nice, a nice touch. Um, but um, I had put in my bag, just, I didn't even realize I had, but I was glad I had a poncho um, because actually on our walk over, it did start raining. And by the time I get the poncho out, it stopped. And the same thing, we were waiting to be led on the buses and it started raining again. And I went to go take the poncho out. And by the time I took the poncho out, the rain had stopped. So it was like off and on. So it, the weather can change on a dime, even just in the walk from the hotel to the buses. But the buses were loaded super efficiently for us. Um, no traffic out to Hopkinton. Now I read an article today uh, that there were some buses that got lost and ended up two miles away from the start at blocked roads and basically had to drop their runners off there. And those runners had to walk uphill, apparently two miles to get to the start. That actually, I didn't get a chance to tell you this, but oh. and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, that actually happened to one of our runners, Eric Melby yesterday. He was on one of the buses that got lost. And as a result, I'm, I'm sorry to talk out of term, but I'll just talk no. about it now. As a result, he um, and the fellow runners on the bus, they were on their bus at least he said half hour, 45 minutes longer than necessary, which meant more sitting. And then of course we know that when you get dropped off, you start running pretty quickly after that. And so it's, it's a lot to be sitting for that long and extra of course, and then getting off and feeling frazzled because you feel like you're late because your bus got lost. Even though it's a rolling start, you want to start within your window. So a lot of the runners, including Eric really rushed the start and started running, which isn't a great feeling at all. So I, I felt really badly. He still had a, a great race. He had a little bit of an issue with his hip, he said, uh, later in the race. And I said to him, he had never had an issue with his hip through his training. And I said, you know what, I wonder if it's because you were sitting on that bus for so long and you understandably abbreviated your warm-up time because you wanted to get going. You didn't want to be out there too late in that hot sun. And perhaps it reared its ugly head, the result of that a little bit later in the race. So he he agreed that was a quite a possibility. Nonetheless, Eric, who has been a podcast guest, of course, um, and is in the 70 to 75 year old age group, is an amazing runner. Of course, he requalified, never a doubt. But he, he definitely felt like he would have run a faster race, but for that hip issue a little bit. And I, I believe it was attributable to the bus issue. So yeah, Lisa, continue. I started interrupting, go on that tangent. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that that's basically, if we're talking about bus experiences and getting to the, getting to the start line, it was, uh, it was really, like I said, really easy. We were dropped off, um, typically where athletes villages. So it's about a, um, they were saying three fourths of a mile walk, um, which is about probably about right, which is a good walk to warm up or um, you know, just to get your legs moving once you get off the bus. And uh, porta potties, and I'm sure you have the same experience. Porta potties where they typically are near the start line, which is in the CVS parking lot. And the beauty of it was there were no lines because I think the way the waves came in and buses kind of on waves that they would just you know people would come in, file in, use them, and then go to the start line, and then the next group would come in and file. And we had no line, like we had no lines for the porta potties, which was such a lovely, you know, as much as I love Boston, I love Athletes Village. And we can talk about this too. Um, I didn't miss Athletes Village. I didn't miss that whole sitting in Hopkinton for two, two and a half hours. Um, I did not miss that one bit. So I I really hope that moving forward that, I mean, I think this is a really efficient, uh, the feedback so far has been, it's a really efficient process. So it does, it, you know, obviously took away a little bit of that um, iconic Boston experience of sitting in Athletes Village and being in Athletes Village. But for us, it was super smooth. It was almost this weird feeling of like, okay, so we go to start now. You ready? Like, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I'm not sure if I'm quite ready yet. But also when we got off the buses in Hopkinton, it was definitely a few degrees cooler. 
and I was certainly glad I had a throwaway shirt um, on top. So that was, uh, you know, just something to keep in mind. It, it will feel cooler in Hopkinton generally. So, uh, you know, as soon as we got the buses, I thought I was glad I had something to keep on for a little while. Yeah, so uh, I had a similar experience. I, I want to go back, though, and just talk about what we ate on uh, Monday morning, because I think- Yes, I meant to talk about oatmeal. Yeah, I think I, I like to just share this with people just because I think people would be surprised how much we eat before, not just the days before in terms of how we make sure to have carb-heavy meals, not necessarily more food, more calories, more carbs. Um, we sort of shift the ratios and we've talked about that a lot over this podcast. And we certainly did that in earnest. Uh, for example, we talked about how we had it, lunch at sweet green, that bowl wasn't there. There was nary a, a piece of lettuce in the bowl. It was rice, grains, sweet potato. I put a little bit of chicken in mine, but it was mostly carbs. And then of course we talked about, we had sushi for dinner. And then, um, in the morning we had our traditional Quaker oatmeal cup. We both picked up our cups in the grocery store before we left for Boston, brought them with us with spoons and filled it up with hot water. It's portable. And each one has 50 grams of carbs. So right there, that's, I mean, I, we tried again in about 150 to 180 grams of carbs the morning of our race. And we have time to do that because this race doesn't start until a window of between nine and 1030 for us, we have time to do that as long as we get up early enough. So we, sh we toasted to our oatmeal. And then in addition Let me just to that, the, the guidelines that we've been given by like some of the dietitians we've had on this podcast before are two grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight, two hours before the race and one gram of carb per kilogram of body weight, one hour before the race. So it's kind of how long before the race, how much do you weigh and then calculating. So if you're somebody who is 60 kilograms, and it's two hours before the race, you're going to have about 120 grams of carbs. It's a guideline. And this is why we tell all of our runners practice this before. And we even put in our training calendars, like the night before a long run, practice your pre-race dinner. You know, what are you going to have for a pre-race dinner? Same thing with your pre-race breakfast. And it's hard on training runs where you're not waking up, may not be waking up super early to run. But even if you have a portion of that, like sometimes I will have um, like, you know, I, part of my breakfast, I did have the oatmeal, but then I also had some peanut butter pretzels, which I really like. And I will eat those before I run. I'll pop a few of those before I run on a normal day, just to make sure I may not have as many as I had on race day, but just making sure whatever you're eating, even if you're having smaller portions of it in your training, that it, it agrees with you. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's just common sense at this point for anyone running a marathon. The last thing you want to have is digestive issues because you've never tried something except on race day for sure. Uh, so yeah, so we do our oatmeal and then we also have on top of that a, a little bit later, cause again, we've got a long morning to be able to do this, a cliff bar, and that's got about, uh, 40 to 50 grams of carbs. So there's your hundred. And then you top yours off with pretzels, uh, peanut butter pretzels. I top mine off with dates. I, I train with dates. I love dates. So it's something that I'm used to. So yeah, so that's what we, those are the phases of breakfast that we ate on race morning. So that may sound like a lot to people, but I mean, that's when you're running a marathon, you need, you need those carbs. So both of us stopped eating. Uh, I stopped eating about an hour and a half before my start because I didn't want to eat on the bus and my bus left at uh, nine o'clock. So I was done eating at nine. Uh, and, and then Julie, I, how long did your bus take uh, just out of curiosity? How long did your bus take you to get to Huffington? My bus took it, it felt like it was probably about an hour because I would say my bus actually left left at like nine ten because you had to board the bus and 
And I think we physically got into Hopkinton by 10. And then there's, of course, the walk to the start line, use the bathroom. It was all very smooth. It just took a little while. And then. So what's up? You boarded the bus at 8.45? I got in line to board the bus at 8.45. I didn't board the bus till 9. Right. And you, what time did you start the race? Do you remember what time your guard? I I think I started around 10. I think I started around 10.20, 10.30. So it's about an, it was about an hour and a half from when we boarded the bus. I was the same thing. I I boarded at 7.45. We left by eight at the, maybe even a little bit earlier. And we were there by, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. 7.45, eight. Yes. We were there by 8.50 and I started at 9.20. So it was also about an hour and a half after. So I'm just, you know, if, if this, process is the same in the future people I think can pretty safely assume that from boarding the bus to getting to the start line actually like cross being ready to cross the start line about an hour and a half just for purposes of planning like you said nutrition and when to stop eating which is markedly different than past years when it's like a whole day before you even run the race which is which is crazy and so yeah to your point I have mixed feelings because on the one hand I love the efficiency I really did but I just really love being together with everyone in Hopkinton and having that, that time because everyone does start at different times. It's so nice to connect before the race, be with all the people, not just the people you run with, but also just having the opportunity to see a sea of runners all together. It's, it's like Woodstockish. It's so fun. It's a rite of passage. I love the, the vibe and I understand that it's not as vision as what we had this year. And I also love the ritual of a starting gun where you line up and you have an official start. It's very exciting, but at the same time, practically speaking, it was really nice to sleep in a little longer, kind of know exactly when you were going to start because it was within your control. Once you got off the bus, um, I will say for me, what was really nice is I was about to start and all of a sudden, like literally I was ready to go over the start line and one of our runners who we coach, who is a volunteer for the BAA, who obviously wasn't running this year, was um, right working at the start line. And she saw me and she's like, Julie. And she like came over and gave me a big hug. And it was such a nice moment. And I'm so grateful that she reached out to you, Lisa, to ask what we were wearing for race day so that she could easily find us. And um, I know she missed you, but she got a picture of you, Lisa. And it was just very she, I saw her as I she, she was actually like on the start line. So I was looking for her before the start line, couldn't find her. I thought, all right, well, I guess I should start. And as I ran over that start line, I'm like, let me have registered my start. Then she saw me, came over and gave me a quick big hug. And then I was on my way. So I didn't get to, you know, I was hoping to get to stay and chat with her a little longer. But um, I had been looking for her right before the start line. And like you said, she was literally like at or right when I was there, like just over the start line. So as soon as I crossed that first mat, then I saw her finally. And I was like, oh, geez. So it was so, but it was so great to have a friendly face at the start line. And I have to say, with respect to the start line, as hard as it was to, you know, kind of just get yourself over that start. Like I kept thinking, okay, am I ready yet? No, I'm not really ready. Wait, hold on. Let me keep my sweatshirt on one more minute. Okay. I'm not, I don't know. Do I want to drink anything anymore? Okay. Do I need to go to the porta potty? Like, it was just like this kind of like, you know, it's up to you. So um, it was a little hard, but as soon as I was ready, what I loved about it is that there were just no crowds. Like, you know, when you usually start, it's just, it's chaos and it's, all people your pace and it's like a thousand people in your corral all about your pace so you're all moving at the same pace so you're all kind of in a clump and I'm always worried about tripping over somebody or you know having a you know, a collision with somebody and you're really um especially down that first hill you're really kind of 
bumped in with everybody and it was clear sailing from the very start. There were plenty of people, but it was, there was space. I didn't feel crowded. I felt like I could just relax. Not, I get so tense when I start in the big group where I'm just like, again, nervous about like, oh, am I gonna, oh, do I need to move over to this side and kind of take the tangent over here? Or do I have to like get to the edge so where I'm on the edge of the edge of the kind of course or, um, I just like that you just started and it, and it felt good. I agree. It was the first year that I was able to really keep in the center of the course most of the time, because that's how the course is measured is there's a blue line for a small portion of the course, but the blue line first is mile and the last mile. Yes. yes. Right. And I could follow, I followed the blue line, the whole first mile, which I've never seen before Same. because you can't normally see that. I want to mention one more thing before I forget talking about seeing people at the start line and podcast guests. Um, Mark Court, S. Mark Courtney, who's Mark Courtney, who's the race director for the Not Saab race that I did uh, in Lake Latonka. I was getting ready to cross the start line and I turn around and I see his runner's high uh, singlet and got to say hi to him. So that was kind of fun too. Yeah. And you also mentioned that a couple people said something to you at the start line because you had on one of our visors. Yes. Recognized. Are you Lisa? Are you Julie? And, um, and I got to see, I think we mentioned on our podcast last time that we met um, one of the top women streakers uh, for the Boston Marathon. Her name is Joy. She's from New Jersey and she is uh, right now the first place woman of highest number of uh, consecutive Boston marathons is 35. She's right behind her at 34. And I got to see her. We saw her at the start, Dara and I, before we started, we saw her and got to say hi to her. And then I think she must have crossed the start line before me because then I also saw her again in about the first mile and got to run a little bit with her. And that was really fun too. Oh, that's great. It's really amazing with 20,000 runners that we, you ran into someone from our hotel that we were just talking with the other night. That's, that's, that's pretty neat. And uh, yeah, agree. Uh, thank you, Colleen, for being there at the start. It was really comforting and nice to see a friendly face and, and have a quick hug before we had to start. And Colleen got on a, had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to get on like a 4.30 or 4.45 bus to get her to the start to volunteer. So hats off to those volunteers. That is exhausting to be out there. And they all were out there with smiles on their faces, the most welcoming group of volunteers. So wow, that's exhausting. And Colleen had been out, like she had traveled this weekend and had been hiking and had a long weekend herself. So to wake up at 3.30 in the morning so that they could be there at the start line with smiles on their faces to welcome us, it just felt so great. And um, that was really, we were really grateful. The volunteers on the course are just amazing. The entire course, that was another bonus to having kind of the course spread out is that first water station, every water station was super easy to get water. And the volunteers, again, knew what they're doing. They're, you know, want to help you. They're there to help get that water to you. I saw volunteers pouring water into water bottles for people, very clear and communicating. I've got Gatorade, I've got water. Do you need some? Um, so, and, and it was just not crowded at the water stations, which was really nice. Not at all. It felt like a real small town race. It was kind of probably how it felt many years ago before Boston became like, you know, Disney-ish. Um, it, it felt like a real home hometown race, at least through Hopkinton and Ashland uh, versus a super crowded, a uh, little bit of a frustrating experience. Sometimes it wasn't at all. So basically as we're talking about this, I, I have to say overall, the uh, changes outweighed uh, the, the way it was before. So I, I do hope that elements of it are kept. I do believe that at least for 2022, this will be the same. I can't imagine there will be a lot of changes between now and six months that would cause them to go back to Hopkins High School so quickly. So I would anticipate that for 2022. And it um, worked. It worked well. So yeah. I, like you said, I think now that they've got this down, I would also anticipate. And I do wonder, you know, vaccine verification, if that's going to be 
a thing and how long it will be, you know, it will be part of the process. But everything was so smooth that I think that's probably reassuring to them to know that they've got it down. So if they do that again in April, they've got a, they've got a protocol. For sure. How long are you, we have these cool bracelets that they're actually really I don't want to take it off. I'm going to leave it, it on. Off. I don't want to take it off. When I do, I'm going to try to get it off so that I can save it as an, in my memento box. But yes, yeah. Little um, for the vaccine verification, they give you a fabric bracelet that's like a ribbon kind of, and it locks with a locking mechanism. And so you can't, once it's on, it doesn't come off. Um, but it's sweet. It says, you know, it says 125th Boston Marathon. It's Boston colors, nice fabric. I'm going to keep it on for a while. I'll let you know when I take it off. It's really cute. I did I take it. my metal off. I took my metal off, so I can keep the bracelet on. The metals were really heavy and big this year. <laughs> so like if you really go back through, and interestingly, <laughs> I have my my Boston medals hung up in our basement, and it is amazing to see the progression. They used to be a fourth of the size of what they are, and over the years, it's like they've gotten a little bigger every year. And this year was definitely the granddaddy of them all. Huge medals, so. Pretty soon we're going to need like a suitcase to carry our metal home. <laughs> so big. Um, yeah. So moving on, we started our, we start our race and I, I know that you started about an hour before me. So I will tell you when I was on the bus, just as I got off the bus, I got a notification that you had hit the 5k mark. Um, so what's actually, you did me a favor because it made me realize, cause I decided to run this year, I don't always do this, but I decided to run this year with my phone and I took the BAA app off my phone because I knew I would get, you would be getting notifications all the day. Yeah. And that would be a little also discouraging because you can't control when you start, but to hear like, all your friends are done and they're waiting. Well, not even that, just the beeps, like the beep, 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 because it was, it was alerting you every time somebody you were tracking crossed uh, one of the 5k mats that are 5k apart and we were tracking 29 people so at yes. least so that I know when I picked up my phone I did not run with my phone I left it in my check bag turned off so it would have full power and I actually even brought a little we got portable chargers as one of the giveaways um from Olive which is one of the sponsors and I put that in the bag too in case I would have needed it later um and when I turned on my phone it like exploded from not only from text that people had been sending while I was out but all of those notifications came through and it was like, ah, so yes, very good tip that um, BAA app was great this time for tracking runners. But if you don't want notifications, either turn off the notifications or get that app off your phone until you're ready for to track runners. And that's exactly what I did. So I had my phone on airplane mode. And the reason I brought my phone is for the first time ever in a race, I decided to have with me my Aftershocks headphones, which are bone conduction headphones, of course, that you can hear ambient noise because I'm not a proponent of earbuds in a race where you can't hear anything around you that's unsafe. I kept it at a, a lower volume where I could hear the music, but also hear everyone around me. And just because I wasn't sure what this race would look like with the rolling start, I wanted to make sure I had something to motivate me in case it felt a little empty, especially at the beginning. Um, obviously that wasn't the case, but I was really, it was nice to have it with me. And I did use music intermittently and I can talk a little bit about that later. This is a first for me. And, um, I think it's something I'm going to continue doing only with those kind of headphones though, never with earbuds. And it was, it was really great. So we both started our races an hour apart. I will say for me, um, nothing eventful about my bus ride. It was all smooth. It was fine. And like you, I, I, got going and was pleasantly surprised and hit, hit my paces right away and felt really good. Um, felt just kept saying to myself, 
conserve, conserve. Like we tell our runners first five miles, just conserve. Don't try and do anything crazy and just eat, conserve, eat, conserve. And the weather felt really optimal at first. I felt like it was really going to be my day um, in terms of weather and just the way I was, I felt like I was really in a flow state by mile five and I was able to just not look at my watch at all and maintain a really consistent pace of somewhere between like eight and eight fifteen, depending on the terrain. And uh, Lisa, I, I don't know how you felt, but I, I really felt this way probably until about uh, mile 14 or 15. I had just, it, it was, it felt very consistent, not easy. Easy would be a lie because the Boston course is never easy. There are some uphills and downhills and you have to be really careful about how you run the downhills. And because we do this for a living and we talk about this course so much, I really felt like my head was just my own training advice over and over. Don't, don't slam on those hills, really watch your tangents, really think about what you're eating. And I was using honey stinger chews as I always do taking four every 15 minutes. That's right. You heard me right. Four honey stinger chews every 15 minutes. Um, and that amounts to 16 shoes an hour, which is a serving of honey stinger, uh, a packet of honey stinger shoes. And, um, it was working out great and I felt really good. I would say for me during the first 14, 15 miles, I really was trying not to be too focused on the crowds, but it was hard not to be, because for those of you that don't follow us on Facebook, I decided to wear a descent collar and I was wearing an all black running outfit with a RBG collar. <laughs> and you called yourself the what? RBG? What is RBG? Oh, RBG is not only Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but running Boston girl. <laughs> Julie always comes up with the best, uh, you know, kind of attention grabbing, um, you know, a tiara or a descent collar or so it's always kind of fun to see just like it's fun to see what your Halloween costumes are it's always fun to see what your running costumes are so um you have a lot of fun out there so that's yeah that's a lot of it was fun, fun. I'm sure got a lot of crowd support I, did. I got a I lot was... of go whatever my number was six five three go go six five three or go all black because <laughs> I had black you know, black shorts or on black shorts go girl in all black I got that a few times I didn't have anything you go, to, girl. they couldn't read my probably my you know my visor that was small was one farther so they didn't have anything to go on other than although I will tell you one funny story at one point in the race I'm running by a woman a, a girl young woman like I probably I don't young woman and she says go Lisa and I look at her and I say thanks hey and I realized I have no idea who she is and it looked like from what I could tell from a quick glance unless she knew me and I didn't know her that she was looking up runners as they were coming by their number on the app and then knowing their name and saying their name because then I saw her typing in another as she was looking down the road I saw her typing in something else into her phone and then calling somebody else's name so I think she was looking up not as she saw numbers coming she put them in and quickly look them up in the app and then say your name because I didn't have my name anywhere on me and I thought that was really um really neat so that was fun how clever how and what a fun thing to do with your time if you're spectating to do that right. that's, that's really sweet um I would say my my I had a few funny moments um running down the course the first 15 miles I mean Wellesley was insane because they kept saying thank you RPG <laughs> I can't even, I can't even explain it, but they, they all were having the best time and they were really, really excited to, to quote me and RBG and, um, 
it just made me giggle so much. I think that was my fastest mile by far because I was laughing so hard. Um, it was really, really fun. And um, yeah, then suddenly things turned really dark for me for a minute. Um, I was constantly taking my feeling. I felt pretty, I felt pretty good. And then I think it was around 17 or 18. It's the exact same spot, darn it, like the same exact spot where I had a moment in 2018. Something just happens to me with my blood sugar around that time. And I'm I definitely know it's a feeling issue. And I need to troubleshoot this a little bit more because it's not yet when the course gets really hard. So it's it's not a hill issue. It's just something about that. And I had to get myself together. It was really crazy, Lisa, because it was about mile 18. And I was thinking about my friend, Ken Traumatori, previous podcast guest two time. Ken coincidentally tore his meniscus and had to have meniscus surgery uh, about a month ago. And therefore wasn't at Boston this year. He had a streak. So it was, it was extra upsetting to not for him to not be able to do a streak, but things happen. And, um, he had the same surgery I did. He's recovering great, but it was, it was a bummer not to have him there. Um, he's a big part of our Boston experience, of course. And I've run with him a few times on the course and he was, uh, running with me, uh, in 2018. And he was there with me. I've told the story when he was like, suck it up, pick it up, get yourself together. And, um, he, uh, he texted me like through my watch and I can't really read text because I had, um, I wondered, I sent you a text after I finished like saying go. And I was, cause I was, I knew you had your phone. I was wondering if you could read your text. I could just see that you texted me. I knew that's what you were saying because I knew you knew where I was in the course. I saw your name. I was like, Lisa's watching me. She knows I'm almost done. She's so happy. Ken, when he texted me at mile 18, there was no timing out there. It was as if he like knew something was going on because I probably was supposed to be at the next tiny mat and I wasn't, you know, right on target as I had been previously. And I paused and I walked for like 30 seconds and then I got my life together as Cody says, <laughs> you're a Pelotoner. And uh, I took in some more feeling and I got through Newton. I don't remember Newton that well, but I do remember everybody again, yelling Ruth, 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 which really helped me through Newton. Definitely not the best part of the race for me, but I just kept telling myself, just like we tell our runners, don't look your watch during this part. Yes, you've fallen off, but if you keep, if you keep yourself together, you'll be able to redeem yourself the last uh, five miles. So my, um, my goal definitely shifted from, oh, I'd really like to finish in the 330s today to, I would really like to requalify today, which would be somewhere, you know, under 350. So um, I'll just finish out my race. And then I think we're running out of time for today. And then Lisa will go to your race next um, after I finish this, these couple sentences, because there's not much else to tell after this. So uh, I got through Newton. And then once I hit mile 21 and a half, crested heartbreaks hill, I uh, took in an espresso goo, which it's disgusting, but I knew that's what I needed at that point, ditched the honey stingers for the rest of the time and took salt tabs every hour. Uh, my face was still salty though, and finished out miles 22 through 26.2, much faster than a Newton, not as fast as the first 15, 16 miles, but it was a respectable pace for me. And I was able to finish in 346. So I was really happy with that. I think for me, knowing that I was able to recover from that moment when I was walking for 30 seconds and 
getting myself back really for me was a huge accomplishment because it's really easy to get inside your head, especially when you don't have anyone around you and, you know, you don't have a marker necessarily, and you know, you have a lot more to go. And I really think a lot of that has to do with just experience and, and just understanding that a bad moment doesn't define your entire race. You can have a bad moment. That doesn't mean you, you need to throw in the towel. It just means you need to shift your perspective, figure out what to do next and keep on going. So for me, that was a highlight of my race this year was getting myself out of that moment, finishing strong, qualifying um, for 2022 and hopefully 2023 and um, just feeling good when I crossed the finish line. And it was really nice. Ran into Cherie from Strides Forward podcast, who um, also attended our meetup. It was oh. so nice to run to her, run into her at the finish. She finished, had a great race. I think she finished somewhere around 350, had a great race, was really happy. And uh, we were both talking to each other about the humidity and it turned out it was, a, it was a really humid day. And I think that also kind of did me in a little bit um, during that time It was 90% humidity apparently. So Lisa, I haven't even caught up with you because we talked about everything else um, after we met up in the beer garden after our races. So I want to hear about your race and how you felt. Um, I really, you know, mine was sort of unremarkable. It was, it was just I went in with the, you know, I went in with a goal in mind, time goal in terms of like what I thought was realistically possible this year, which was between 320 and 330. And I hit right in the middle of that. And I kind of knew what my pacing need to be at the beginning. And I always, every Boston I've ever done, I typically go out about, and we always tell our runners to stick to goal pace or maybe a tiny bit, fast, but no faster than we say 10 seconds slower, at least 10 seconds per mile slower than average goal pace. I always end up going out no matter what I do about 10 seconds faster than goal pace. And it, it's, it's always been okay for me. Like that's actually been okay at Boston for me. Um, I end up losing a little time, always end up losing a little time in the Hills, no matter what, because it just even effort through the Hills. So I know I'm going to lose a little time and it's pretty consistent that I always end up um, positive splitting by about anywhere from four to eight minutes is usually what it's been over the years. And that's, you know, it's pretty, like a pretty steady, like that's pretty, pretty, um, predictable. So, um, so I knew, you know, I didn't want to go out any faster than seven thirty per mile. And interestingly, I don't know if this happened to you, but we were all kind of standing around at the start waiting for our garments to pick up GPS and nobody was getting a signal. And so they started announcing, go across the start line and your Garmin will pick up the GPS. We know your Garmin isn't picking up GPS, go across the start line and will. And we're all kind of like on a wing and a prayer, like nobody wanted to start until they got there, but it really wasn't coming up. So I said, all right, I guess it's going to come up. And I guess it, I didn't really pay attention. I hit go on my watch and didn't look to see if it picked up GPS. But at the end of the race, I ran uh, 26.29 miles. So I don't think, but that did end up, um, I thought I was going at about a 7.30. I was looking at my average pace. I had my average pace on my watch and it was showing about a 7.30-ish. I did not have my instantaneous pace. I had switched it off instantaneous pace, which drives me crazy, and put it on average lap pace, which will tell you the average pace for that particular mile. I did not have mine set on manual lap. I was just going to let it auto lap. And I thought that's where I was, but then um, my watch was off. So I went, I saw the mile marker before my watch beeped for the first mile. So I really went through the first mile marker a little ahead of 7.30. But then when my watch beeped, like if you look at my mile splits, first one, 7.30, 7.32, 7.37, 7.30. by when I was looking at the time based on the mile, the clocks, it was a little bit faster. So I think that there was a something a little bit off with my watch at the beginning. But in any case, I felt really controlled and really good. And I held that through, 
you know, that's kind of just where I stuck for until we got to the hill. So, and then I knew that that was going to be where, you know, where I would maintain even effort. And I really did. I was telling our group the day before that when I go up those hills, I think about riding my bike and I think about shifting into an easier gear and just spinning my pedals at the same cadence, but not working as hard because you're working against less resistance. So it's like, you're not putting out as much, you're not putting out a ton of power. Uh, you're just spinning your wheels. And that's how I think of it. So I think about sh downshifting and just, you know, keeping the high, same high cadence, but not putting as much force into the ground. And that's kind of what I did. And so through the hills, I definitely, you know, my pace was close. To, I, I don't even remember what it was, but, you know, it slowed by again, about 10, 15 seconds per mile. And, um, but I was, you know, okay, picking up some speed on the other side of the hills. Um, so I, I felt good at about uh, probably mile. Yeah, I think it was about after Wellesley. So right before 13, I started thinking about how am I going to break down the rest of the race? And that's usually when I, cause honestly, for me, the first half of the race always flies by. I don't even think about it. All of a sudden I'm in Wellesley and it's like, great, but then you've got another half of the race to go. So I started thinking about how I'm going to break it down. And, um, George Remet, the, our RCA president that we saw, um, uh, the day before I told me he was going to be at mile 14. So after I went through Wellesley, which is just before 13, I thought, okay, I'm going to look forward to seeing George at 14. And then at 16, you get into counting down single digits. So once you're at 16, you're at 10, 9, you know, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. So I thought that's going to be the next thing I look for is mile 16. And then um, I knew that our, what did I look for after that? Then, uh, then oh, then it was the hills. Then I was like, then I'm going to count down the hills of Newton. So then I'm going to go through hill 1, 2, 3, 4. And then by the time I do that, I'm going to be at 21. And then I knew that our MCRC friends were going to be at mile 22. I said, I'm going to look forward to seeing them at 22. And then I decided at mile 24, if I still had, I carried extra gels with me. I think I had like eight gels in my pockets and I took six. And I, so I, had, I said at mile 24, if I have any extra gels in my pockets, I don't feel like I need, I'm going to discard them, which if anyone knows about Morton gels and how expensive they are, I thought that was kind of like really hard to do because it's like throwing away money. Um, I actually contemplated taking the gels that they were giving out on the course, the Morton gels, just to keep them because they're worth so much money. I thought I could take a bunch <laughs> of them and stuff them in my pockets and, you know, have them at home and not have to buy more Morton gels. But I kind of gave myself that that ability that at 24, I'd be done taking my last nutrition. And at 24, I can empty my pockets and get this stuff out of my pockets and just get rid of stuff and like, you know, whatever. So I thought at 24, I can do that. And then it'll be two miles left. So that's kind of mentally how I broke it down after the 13 was things to look forward to. And sure enough, at 14, I saw George. Um, then the hills came and I counted down the hills. And it was funny. I was in, uh, had gone through the third hill and a woman running next to me said, was that three or four? And I looked, I said, that was three, sorry. <laughs> and she said, all right, we got one more. I said, yeah, that one's heartbreak. So, um, so that, that to me was, you know, again, just how to break down that mileage. And then got through the fourth one, uh, got to mile 22, was looking for our MCRC friends. And I knew as they were, when you come around this sharp um, left turn, I think it's Coolidge Corner, and um, there are the train tracks that you cross over, uh, everyone kind of hangs into the left side of the curve. Because if you go on the far right, you're certainly not taking the tangents. And as I was hanging into the left, I know they told us they'd be on the right. And I thought, they're maybe way over there, and I probably can't see them. And sure enough, I missed them. They, they saw us, but I missed them. So I didn't get to see them there, but at least that gave me something to look forward to. So once I got past 22 and didn't see them, I thought I'd probably miss them. And then I thought, okay, 24 comes. I am, I'm good on my nutrition. I feel good. 24 comes, I'm tossing my nutrition. So at 24, that's when I tossed my gels. And then it was two miles. And, and so really, I never really hit that any feeling of, you know, when is this going to be over? Um, I, I really, this time, I went in 
with a goal of really um, playing up the crowds this time. I, I don't always do that. I kind of dial in and I just get in my zone and I don't even look around. I don't, I've run this race. I've been on the course. This was my 17th time on the course because last year was virtual, but my 17th time on the course and I still can't remember where things are or, you know, somebody will say like, oh yeah, when you go through Boston College and I'm always like, where's Boston College again? So this time my goal was really to sit, really look around and see what's going on and take in the crowds. And I did that and I pumped up the crowds and I, you know, kind of asked for cheers and, and the crowds responded and that was, that was fun. And that got me through the last two miles and, and that was it. So, um, really that's it. That was, that was my race. I felt like it, I really was dialed into my nutrition. I did, um, salt tabs every three miles. So I did two salt stick chews every three miles and I did a Morton gel every four miles. And, um, I will say I had not used in training the Morton gels with caffeine. Um, but I thought I would, you know, it would be fine. I've used other nutrition with caffeine. So I figured I would be fine using that. So I decided at 16, that was going to be my, my, my caffeine gel. And I took it out and I slurped half of it down and it's got a bitter taste. It's got a little bit of a bite to it. Like, I don't know if it's the caffeine and I don't know what it is, but it tastes a little different than that, the normal Morton gel. And I couldn't take it. It was not like, it just was not left a bad taste in my mouth. So I actually tossed that half a gel and took out one of my extra regular ones and took that down instead. So that was the only little, um, you know, little change up that I made, but otherwise I stuck to that exact schedule, um, and just steady through the whole time. So three, six, nine, 12, 15 and 18 and four, eight, 12, 16 and 20. I did not have to take just, 20, 24. Just for clarification, what prompted you to try the Morton gel is that we, they announced um, a few months ago that Boston would be using Morton gel on the course. So right. typically you use Honey Stinger, but you decided to give this a try. It worked for you. And the reason that you did it by miles isn't because um, you use miles, but rather the miles coincided with the time. Right. Exactly. You, yeah. It's about, right. I knew that it was going to be about 35, 40 minutes. And at my pace that I was running, and that stock, like if I had slowed down tremendously, then I probably would have taken those. That's why I brought those extra gels because I knew if I was out Smart. on the course longer, I would need them. And again, that's why also at mile, I said I could toss my gels at mile 24 because if it had taken me longer to get from 20 to 20, from the time I took it 20 to 24, then I thought I might need some extra if I was going to take me longer to get to the finish. So that's why I said to myself, if I'm still holding my pace and I'm still feeling good at 24 and I know I don't need those, I can toss them. So that's a good, very good point that really it's time-based, but for me, because I was able to hold a pretty, pretty steady pace, um, I, I did it by month. I had it. And again, that's just a way for me to break down the course in my head. You know, I had something to look forward to every, at least three, you know, three miles for the salt tabs. And um, that's how I break down the course in my head. For sure. Well, congratulations on an excellent race. It's really remarkable to me that you and I never run Boston together. We always get different start times. <sighs> it never fails. You you tell <laughs> like it's pretty 20 crazy. minutes, 20 minutes, We're always 20 minutes apart in our finish times, no matter the year. Like we didn't know what we were going to do. Um, yesterday, we weren't sure both of us really were, we haven't raced a marathon in a really long time. No one has. And I really wasn't sure what to expect out of myself. I know you felt the same. We both were kind of gauging based on our shorter distance races and, um, you finished, you crossed the finish line. I didn't know where you were. Obviously I was still running, but you knew, and you texted me towards the end of my race 
And I knew when you texted me that you were done, but in my head, I did a quick calculation. I was thinking, I'll bet we are finishing 20 minutes apart again. And it's, it's really crazy. I mean, it, I think I, even the year that, um, 2018, when it poured and we both had, we were both about 15 minutes off the time we expected, but we were still 20 minutes apart. (laughs) It is is really strange. It's it's really cool, but I'm really, I'm, I'm so glad that we both were unnecessarily, I think, uh, worried isn't the word, but more like, what's this day going to look like for us? Because we hadn't raced in so long. Both of us talked about it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm sure that our feeling mirrored many people who are coming out of COVID and this pandemic and going back to marathons. It's it's sort of a weird thing because a lot has happened over the past uh, 18 months and some, you know, people, people react differently to different feeling things change. I mean, I know some of you have had babies and there's all kinds of things that have gone on. And so understandably, everyone's like, well, how's my body going to respond to a marathon this time? So it was nice to rip off the bandaid. I'm so glad that we both had positive experiences. I will say there was one part in the course. I was pretty early in my race. I don't know where it was in your race, but there were quite a few ambulances and it, it got me really concerned. And we um, found out today and thank God she's okay. But a coach from um, run for PRs, Megan, uh, she collapsed on the course and thank God she's okay. She's in the hospital. She had some kind of cardiac event and apparently another runner um, came to her aid and he tweeted or his coach tweeted something about it. And apparently he performed CPR or helped with performing CPR. And then once he was able to see that she was um, in the hands of paramedics, he continued his race and ended up finishing in 302. So um, amazing. good Samaritans on the course. I know a lot of folks were out there concerned. So if anyone's listening and saw um, ambulances, I believe that's what it was for. And she is okay. And she's in the hospital and she posted on her Instagram account, the story, but uh, our thoughts are with Megan. And, and it just goes to show you who cares about your finish time. I mean, it's, it's our health. That's so important. And, and thank God she's okay. So um, after the race, we both went to an outdoor beer garden with our fellow MCRC runners. Thank you to our runner, Rod, who I found an outdoor venue so we could all meet up. And um, it was great to see everyone. It seemed like everyone had uh, really well executed races, not a lot of PRs because it was humid, but a lot of very well done races. And um, our next episode, we'll talk about what some of our runners did. We're super excited about their accomplishments and want to share those in another episode. But it was just really, for me, what gets me through the last four or five miles of the race is knowing that I have friends to meet at the finish. So it was really wonderful to know that we had a fun place to go and just hug and say hello to everyone and celebrate what's been a really long time since racing. So I was also looking forward to having a really good meal after the marathon, but I was afraid that I would be stuck in traffic en route to the airport. So I figured I'd get to the airport early and just eat something. There's plenty of restaurants at Logan and grab something. And apparently Logan closes all of their restaurants, Lisa at seven. So I had for dinner last night because I was absolutely starving. Um, sadly, a Dunkin' Donuts breakfast sandwich for my post-race dinner. And it was the saddest thing eating alone in the airport, but whatever. Um, 
someday I'll get something better. But I think the next time you're right, we need to stay until Tuesday, if not for that reason. How was your trip back and were you able to eat? <laughs> yes, it was great. I'm home safely and um, looking forward to April. Yeah, for sure. So to be continued, we will definitely talk more about Boston in our next episode. Um, it's late. It's Tuesday night. We are both so tired. So we're going to head off to sleep. But for everyone who's stuck with us until now, thanks for hearing our stories and uh, to be continued. But once again, Lisa, I'm, I'm so grateful to have shared the weekend with you. Me too. Good night. Congratulations. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.